In 58 AD, the Christian church in Rome found itself deeply divided between her Jewish and Gentile members. To help guide the church towards unity, St. Paul wrote the longest of his 13 letters to God's beloved in Rome. You could argue that Paul's lengthiest letter was the most important letter ever written. Not just by Paul, by anyone, ever. The most prolific of New Testament authors, the second most influential character in the Christian tradition, an anti-Jesus zealot and Pharisee who changed course on the road to Damascus to become a primary architect of the Christian faith. He wrote a letter to the fledgling church that would help define her beliefs early on and continues to help define who we are as Jesus people today. It's a profoundly historical book written out of a deep personal understanding of and relationship with God. Romans, the most important letter ever written. Hey friends, open your Bibles to Psalm 37. If you're not in a place where you have access to a traditional Bible, you can take your digital device and you can open the YouVersion app, or it's also called the Bible app and all the notes and scriptures have already been uploaded. We'll also put the scriptures on the screen. Wherever it is that you're watching us from, I love you. I'm so grateful that you have become a part of our family. Just as a reminder, if you wanna press in more, push in more, if you want some additional content, or even just wanna ask me questions about this message, you can get on a Zoom call. It lasts an hour. It's called Ask the Pastor. It's at eight o'clock on Tuesday night. All you have to do is RSVP on our website. You know, when I started on this series of teachings that we're calling the Book of Romans, I was originally just gonna start in chapter one and then work my way through chapter by chapter or maybe theme by theme. But early on, God was clear. Since the book of Romans can be such a complex, complicated book, he wanted me to give you the context. And I was supposed to do that by giving you the five W's, the who, what, when, where, and why. And honestly, I thought each of those messages would just be a week long and that the when of those messages, it would just be about what was happening in the world at the time that Paul wrote this letter. But as I was writing that message, I felt the Holy Spirit say, no, the when I want you to tell him about, I want you to tell him about the when during Paul's life that he wrote this letter. And that seemed like a simple task, just give you a few dates, just give you a few details and then move on. But what's happened has been something I didn't expect. I didn't expect to preach half the book of Acts before I ever got to the book of Romans. And truthfully, I don't think many people listening to these when messages have even realized that that's what's been happening. I think maybe some people thought this was just a really long history lesson. And I've, I've even had a few people, not many, but a few, ask me when we're actually gonna get to Romans. Which, full disclosure, that created some insecurity in me. Like, are people finding this boring? I mean, I like it, but is it too much? Is it, is it just dragging on? So I was stuck. I just kept thinking about how can I backpedal? How can I bail out of this narrative on the life of Paul and just actually get into the book of Romans? So frustrated, I went to my wife, Pastor Sonny, and I told her how I was feeling. And she said something that encouraged me, that added courage to me. She said, no, you keep going the direction you're going because this is laying the foundation for something bigger than a series of messages. This life of Paul, this is a divine detour. 
So I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about divine detours as we continue in this message that we've been in called when. Let's pray. God, we love you. We're grateful to you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that leads us and that guides us, that directs us and even sometimes takes us on divine detours. So today, I pray as we journey on this detour that you've got us on, our hearts would be opened, our minds would be opened, that those would be changed as well as our lives. Pray today, God, that we would become small so that you can become big. God, we give you our time. We give you our attention. Do whatever you want with it. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So we left off last week with Paul and Barnabas having this argument. And after the argument, they went their separate ways. And that argument, that conflict, it was not pretty. It was deep and it was ugly. So shortly after the Jerusalem council, James, the earthly brother of Jesus, who was the leader of the church at Jerusalem, he sent two of his best teachers back to Antioch in Syria to validate what had been decided by the mother church. And one of those teachers was a guy named Silas. Silas was this expert in scripture and he was known as an incredible communicator. So after he delivered the decision from the Jerusalem church for a season, Silas taught both in the synagogue and in the new Christian church in Antioch. And Paul, he decided to sit at Silas's feet listening and learning how to become a better communicator. After his assignment had been completed, Silas went back to Jerusalem while Paul stayed in Antioch for the winter where he rested, he recovered, and he determined to fulfill his and Barnabas' plan to go back to all the churches that they had started. But Paul was lonely, y'all. And with his personality, with his tendency to internalize things, which led to this lifelong struggle with depression, Paul knew he was not built to do ministry alone. So he wrote a letter to Silas and he asked him to come and meet him in Derby, one of the only places that Paul hadn't been abused. So in spring of 50 AD, at the age of 50, Paul would recreate himself. And he and Silas would meet in Derby, and they would begin a new journey. So Paul then from Derby immediately took Silas to Lystra to meet Lois and Eunice, who were the women who nursed him and Barnabas back to health after they'd been brutally beaten in Pisidian Antioch, and they determined that they would pick up Timothy. With a new plan to reach Rome, they determined that they'd take the road from Pisidian Antioch to Ephesus, which was about 250 miles, and they determined that they'd start new churches in every town along the way, eventually starting a church in Ephesus, which was this huge, influential city in the Roman Empire. From Ephesus, they'd then sail to Corinth. They'd start a church there. Then they'd use that church to start churches throughout southern Greece. Then they'd move from there on to Rome. And the plan, it was solid. The plan, it made sense. But their first attempt to go to Ephesus failed. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach in Asia. So they tried to go to a different area. They tried to go to Asia Minor. The Holy Spirit hadn't forbidden them from preaching there. So they traveled to the second largest, most influential city within their reach, a city called Bithynia. But when they got to the border of that city, Paul had another vision. He had another encounter with Jesus 
and they weren't allowed to preach there either. So now they're frustrated and they couldn't understand why none of their plans were working. And, and I'm sure that Paul must have had this thought, like maybe he looked at Silas and thought, you know what, this never happened when I was with Barnabas. So with doors closed on the way that he'd always spread the message of Jesus, they were forced to pivot. They were forced to take secondary roads and travel to Troas, you know, Troy, where Brad Pitt, a.k.a. Achilles and the Greeks fought the Trojans, you know, like the Trojan horse, you've heard the story? Yeah, there. So they went to Troas, and it's here that Paul meets a guy named Luke. Luke, who would later go on and write the Gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts, and who Paul would later call the beloved physician. In fact, some people believed that Luke actually became Paul's personal physician. And Paul was working in that town and teaching at the medical center. And when Paul saw Luke, he was like magnetically drawn to him. He, he identified Luke as a friendly face. He recognized his features. Luke had the unmistakable look of his people. He was a citizen of Antioch in Syria. In their meeting, Paul would have undoubtedly told Luke about the time that he'd spent in his hometown and what God had been doing there and, and maybe over some delicious Turkish coffee. They would have shared stories about people that they each knew. And it was in one of those conversations that the name Titus would have been brought up. You remember the Greek who Paul had chosen to bring to Jerusalem when he and Barnabas had gone to deliver the famine relief and to whom he'd later write one of his epistles. And when Paul mentioned that name, Luke would have excitedly said, wait, you're that Paul? Titus, y'all, that's my brother. To which Paul would have responded, better shut your mouth. You're that Luke and the connection, it was instant and the connection, it was deep. And they'd have these long conversations and Paul would go on to read many of Luke's writings because as a physician, Luke would have been required to write articles in periodicals for the medical community. And Luke's writing, it deeply impacted Paul. In fact, many reputable biblical scholars point to the fact that Paul's writing changed after meeting Luke. It became more focused. It became more organized. He'd already written the book of Galatians, which was clearly written as a document of discipline and disappointment, written in frustration with how they'd compromised in their faith in Paul's absence. He'd also written the first of his letters to the Thessalonians, which came off as like having been written by this lonely, tired, worn out old man. But Luke, he was less emotional and more eloquent in his writing. He was a very technical writer. And that writing moved Paul. And to think, these two men, who would be lifelong friends from this point forward. They met in a place Paul didn't even plan on being. They met in a place Paul only went because he wasn't allowed to go to the place he wanted to go. And I wonder, where have you not been allowed to go? What have you not been allowed to do? What plans have you had that were forced to be put on hold and forced you onto secondary roads? What job didn't you get? What promotion didn't you get? What house didn't you get? What relationship didn't you get? 
I remember the first year that I was saved, I, I met this girl and she was the first Christian girl that I'd ever dated. And, and one day out of nowhere for no reason whatsoever, she dumped me. And I, I had never been dumped before. And so I wanted to know why. And so I asked her, I said, why? And she told me that my football coach told her I wasn't good enough for her. So, you know, being who I was, I marched into his office and I said, hey bro, I heard you told the old girl I wasn't good enough for her. And this, you know, coach in true coach fashion, just like leaned back in his chair, looked across his desk and said, yeah, I said that. Because you're not. And man, I was so mad, but it forced me to look at myself. It forced me to fix some things over that summer. And the first week of the next school year, I was sitting in the cafeteria and in walked a girl who took my breath away, who when I saw her, time stood still, who the minute I saw her, I knew I was going to marry her. I looked at my roommate, guy named Sarge, Dave Ferguson. He had been a drill sergeant in the army. I looked at him and I said, man, I'm going to marry that girl. He said, who's that? And I said, I don't know. I didn't even know her name, but I knew my life was about to be changed. And that girl was Pastor Sonny. And everything about my life changed in that moment. And I would never have become who I am without Sonny. And some of you need to hear this, that sometimes you view something as a secondary road, but it's really the road to your primary purpose. Another time, years ago, Pastor Sonny and I were pastoring a church outside Detroit, and we loved that place. Like we wanted to die in that town, buy our plots, put our headstones up. We poured our heart and soul into that place. Saw so many people start their Jesus journey there. I mean, we had an Easter egg hunt in the city park and 8,000 people showed up. I mean, there were only 10,000 people in the town. It was so crazy that the city police had to shut down the streets or, or we had our Easter service in that same park and it was packed. I mean, it, it was a sea of people as far as the eye could see but it was all too much and everything fell apart. We left that town brokenhearted and left the ministry. We'd been burned. So I tried to get a job, tried to get a normal job, but the problem was I wasn't qualified to do anything other than work in a church. So I tried to get a job at McDonald's and they told me I was overqualified. So I tried to get a job at TSA. I'd spent a lot of time in airports. Maybe I could get a job there. I got all the way to the final stage, but they told me they couldn't hire me because I had bad credit. I was like, that's why I need a job because I have bad credit. So unemployable, I started writing a blog about grief, grief over the loss of our daughter, grief over the loss of our dreams, our hopes, grief over the loss of our jobs and our income and our direction, just a blog about grief. And if I'm being totally honest, nobody read the blog. But eventually, that blog became a book called Gravity of Grief. And countless families have used that book to navigate their way through their own detours. Because again, my secondary road led me to a primary purpose. And it all happened in a place I only went because I wasn't allowed to be in the place I wanted to be. And it happened because the steps of a good man are ordered by God. And so many of us, we're stopped right now 
And I know you're frustrated. I know you want to go where you want to go and do what you want to do, but your steps are ordered and so are your stops. So before we ever even talk about people getting saved, before we ever even start talking about people starting their Jesus journey, I wonder, what if you took this season of stop and you asked yourself three questions? What's God plotting? What's God planning? And what's God preparing? What's God plotting? What's he digging up behind the scenes that you can't see? What pieces is he positioning that you have no idea about? What's God planning? What people is he bringing into your life that you didn't know were directly connected to your destiny? What's God preparing? What or who might be waiting in the place you're only in because you aren't allowed to be in the place that you want to be? I promise you, friend, your destiny is waiting because what's happening right now, it's a divine detour. Ideas are waiting to be initiated. Patents are waiting to be filed. Relationships are waiting to be formed. Businesses are waiting to be started. And all you have to do is lean in, listen, and learn. Will you do that? Will you do that today? Would you close your eyes? Friend, before we even talk about salvation, let's talk about leaning in. Let's talk about leaning into the divine detour. And some of you right now, you're wringing your hands. You're throwing up your hands. You've given up. You've determined. You've gotten angry. You've gotten frustrated. You've determined that the man is against you and that everything is a conspiracy. But what you need to know is that the place that you're in today, you're in because your steps are ordered. You are in the middle of a divine detour. So for those of you who are in that place, I want to pray for you. And so God, today, right now, for my friends who are watching this, who are angry, who they're frustrated, who they can't take anymore, who they're wringing their hands, who feel like they've been put into a place of lockdown, been put into a place of isolation, and they're sick and tired of being sick and tired, would you reveal to them? Would you have your Holy Spirit well up within them and let them know that their steps and their stops are ordered. Reveal your way. Reveal your destiny in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. But friend, before he can take you on the divine detour of your destiny, it's time for some of us to stop. Stop all of our wants. Stop all of our ways. Stop all of our inclinations and ideas about how we're going to fix things on our own. We can't fix things on our own. I've tried it. I know that you've tried it. But God's got you stopped right now. And he got you stopped on this little broadcast that maybe you stumbled upon. And maybe you watch us every week. Or maybe somebody recommended us to, to you. Or maybe you just fell upon this. But you're not here by accident. You're here on purpose. And the reason that you're here is because God wants you to surrender yourself to him. That's what we call salvation. Recognizing that you can't fix yourself. Recognizing that you can't change yourself. Surrendering yourself and submitting yourself to the Savior who wants to rescue you. So here's how we do that. In just a moment, 
I'm gonna pray a few lines in a prayer and then I'm gonna pause. When I pause, if you wanna be changed and you repeat these words and you mean them in your heart, the Bible says you will be saved. You will be rescued, given an opportunity to invite the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to be the Lord and Savior of your life. The Lord, the one who runs things. Savior, the one who saves things. So if you need someone else to run your life and you need someone to save your soul, would you repeat these words after me? Would you say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Would you come into my life? Would you rescue me? Would you save me? Would you be my Lord? And would you be my savior? In Jesus' name, amen. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, you've just become a member of the family of God. And I'm so proud of you. And I'm so excited for you. And I want the opportunity to follow up with you. So if you prayed that prayer, would you just click the link that says you're choosing to raise your hand to give your life to Jesus. And we want the opportunity to connect with you. I love you. And I'm so excited. Would you worship with us?